millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hello and welcome back to the Satman Dave Football Podcast. This is episode 36. Today, again, I'm joined by Nico Morales to wrap up all the Premier League, Bundesliga, Liga, all across Europe, all the action. Nico, what is the weather like with you today? It's actually not that great. We usually uh, have some great weather here in Orlando, Florida. It's starting to get really hot. It was like 95 degrees out the other day, but um, it's like really cloudy today. So I think I'm experiencing some London-esque weather. I tell you what, in London, it's be- it's beautiful today. Blue skies, the sun is shining, the window was open before the podcast recording, obviously, and I was having a great time. Other people that had great times this weekend was, of course, Mario Flaming Gomez. What an absolute hero. Scored a hat-trick in, what, seven minutes, so I think it's time to push that button. <laughs> Anyway, on today's show, we're going to uh, talk the news, then we're going to move on to some transfer news, then maybe discuss the French League Cup final with uh, Monaco facing PSG, um, wrap it up with a bit of Man City versus Arsenal, and then finally, Napoli versus Juve, and then we're done for episode 36. So first up, the news of... Of course, Mario Gomez scoring a seven-minute hat-trick, an absolute banging game in the Bundesliga. 3-3 draw between uh, Leverkusen and Wolfsburg. Gomez decided he wanted to score, bagged a few goals, 3-2 up, and then, of course, uh, Kai Havitz, who had a fantastic game again for a 17-year-old. Absolutely incredible. One of the kids you've got to watch out for in Europe's top five leagues. Anyway, on to real news. The big news coming out today was all about Luke Shaw. So in the press conference before the game against Everton, uh, Mourinho was asked about what Shaw needs to do to get onto the bench. Mourinho responded with who? Luke Shaw. It's difficult for me um, to put him on the bench because I cannot compare him with Asher Young, with Darmian, with Blind, and I cannot compare the way he trains, the way he commits, the focus, the ambition. I cannot compare... He's a long way behind. Nico, what are your opinions on Luke Shaw, uh, Mourinho, and this whole debacle? 
Yeah, I think it's a, a, a telling indication of sort of the English media. They they mentioned in the interview, you know, like how can you say this about Luke Shaw? He's a he's a full English international. I think Mourinho actually resp- I don't often agree with Mourinho, but I think he actually responded quite well in saying that you know Joe Hart is a a full English international. He's on loan in Italy at Torino. So I, I think um, you know that, that isn't to say that Luke Shaw is a bad player. I think he's a very good left back, but to sort of uh, it, it's consistent with Mourinho in the sense that this is the way he motivates. And he basically called Mesut Ozil, you know, for for lack of a better term, uh, a female dog at Real Madrid, if you if you catch what I'm putting down. So um, I think this is sort of the way that he motivates players. And, and we we all know the potential of Luke Shaw. We all know how how good he can be. And I think if if Mourinho thinks that he isn't getting the best out of him publicly calling out publicly calling him out and publicly putting him down in, in press conferences is maybe the way he thinks that he's going to get the absolute best out of out of a player that I think we all all know his potential. So although I don't particularly agree with the way he's doing it, I think this is consistent with his methods. It's an interesting one and, and whether this is sort of Luke Shaw's last chance for Manchester United, what would be absolutely fantastic if he starts Luke Shaw against Everton? It's all been a big um, sort of ruse from Mourinho and he's just pulling the wall over all of our eyes. In terms of moving on to other news, Celtic officially became champions of Scotland for the sixth time in a row. It's getting a little bit boring. What are we in the, fir- the first of April was a few days ago? This is ridiculous. Over to Spain, Neymar scored his 100th goal for Barcelona, scored 70 goals with his right, 24 with his left and with his head. In fact, he's reached the landmark of 100 goals for Barca in 11 games fewer than the great Lionel Messi. Barcelona, in terms of La Liga action, beat Granada four goals to one at the weekend. Moving back over to England, David Moyes was forced to apologise to a female BBC reporter for threatening to slap her a few months ago. Absolute outrageous behaviour from David Moyes, who, since his Man United days, has really been... I don't know, he seems like he's lost his, his head and he's going the wrong way. Moving to other non-news, Arsenal fans and Arsenal fan TV had a bit of a scrap outside the Emirates last night, yesterday on Sunday following the draw with Manchester City. But anyway, we'll touch on that a little bit later on. In terms of transfer news, we've got a few transfer rumours today, but one deal that looks like it will be going through is uh, Rodrigo Bentaker's move to Juventus. A player that's been playing for Boca Juniors, a Uruguayan 19-year-old. He's a bit wiry, strong, looks a little bit like the Uruguayan Saul. That's how I would describe him for people that have never seen him. I've only seen a tiny bit of him, so I can't really give you an in-depth analysis. But that's my overall little watch of uh, about seven minutes of action of the Uruguayan star. Anyway, Liverpool are demanding over £30 million for uh, Mamadou Sacco this summer. You know, he's had great impact since moving to Crystal Palace. Who, in fact, have, I think they've kept three clean sheets um, or four clean sheets since he's joined the club. Moving on to some Manchester City news where we'll get Nico's opinion here. Edison, the Benfica goalkeeper, is set to become the world's most expensive keeper ever, with City reportedly bidding 60 million euros for the Brazilian. Nico, what characteristics are needed to be a goalkeeper under Pep Guardiola? Yeah, I don't know if this transfer is actually going to go through. I, I think Pep has spoken several times about how content he is about the form of uh, and quality of both his goalkeepers in Willy Caballero and, and Claudio Bravo. We've seen a resurgence of the usage of Caballero because um, though he doesn't exactly uh, match Claudio Bravo's distribution and ability with his feet, which is a key component of what you need to be a Pep Guardiola goalkeeper, um, he is 
possibly a little bit better in the save department. I think um, I think there was an article a while ago that really uh, exemplified Claudio Bravo's issues. I think we all know he's a great keeper, but he was just going through uh, a bit of a form drop, and, and adjusting to a new league can be difficult. But in terms of what you need to be uh, a Pep Guardiola keeper, you need to be adept with your feet. You need to understand the... Uh, the concepts and the passing triangles that the that Manchester City and other teams in Europe uh, use to try to play out of a high press or a positional press. And one one goalkeeper, I think, if we're going to talk about transfers for Manchester C- City, that I think they missed out massively in, in recruiting either previous to Pep Guardiola or now is uh, Kevin Trapp. I thought Salvatore Sirigu w- uh, was always a fantastic keeper um, in his time at PSG, and then he started to to lose minutes to what I thought was a backup keeper transfer originally. But uh, Kevin Trapp has come in, and and in the Coupe de Ligue that we that we saw this weekend, and also consistently in Unai, Unai Emery's team, you know, he's a very capable goalkeeper with the ball at his feet, and uh, I've been extremely impressed with both his distribution and sort of passing decisions. So, um, in terms of what you need, you need to. Uh, have your passing decisions uh, be correct and your distribution to be uh, to be spot on. Yeah, I think that's, that's a, it's a real interesting one. Kevin Trapp's one of those those keepers that again went through as soon as he moved to PSG, hit a similar patch of bad form with Claudio Bravo with Sirigu coming back into the side. I remember a game against Bordeaux where um, Kazari, you know, the the Sunderland player, had a really good game for Bordeaux, but he caught Kevin Trapp. Um, out pressurising him nick the ball off and put the ball away you know when Trap was sort of switching the play or so forth but you know since that day has made that number one jersey his own um, I think there's another young keeper that came back from Villarreal his name escapes me uh, but you know he's come back and, and Kevin Trapp's still kept that position so maybe it could be a good option for, for City but you know City do need another goalkeeper in the summer with David De Gea also on the move imagine that David De Gea to Manchester City that would be mental absolutely mental but anyway let's talk about the, the game that you mentioned there let's transition to that so the League Cup final between Monaco and PSG the darlings of uh, French football in Monaco playing a lovely attacking style with a number of young players versus the evil money of PSG the game was pretty um, comprehensive in terms of PSG's victory. In terms of what uh, Emery did, Nico, how how do you think he won the game? How did he deal with Monaco's counterattack? I think you and I have have spoken uh, extensively, sort of, about Unai Emery and sort of the the tactical mirings that he likes to employ in his teams. And I think um, Javier Pastore was missing in this game because of a slight injury, although he was available. And I think bringing Di Maria in from the right wing and sort of bringing him centrally, like you know, he he's enjoyed some form uh, in that position when he was at Real Madrid. But also, you know, their four three three essentially outnumbered the. Um, the Monaco four four two in the in the center of the park in the sense that you know it's usually Fabinho and Bakayoko in there and and four four two people uh, misinterpret that as four midfielders when it's actually two central midfielders and so um, PSG's four three three had three central midfielders and Thiago Mota. Uh, Marco Verratti and Adrian Rabiot and they stayed very narrow and then the outside players of the 4-4-2 were occupied by some of the advanced fullbacks in Serge Aurier and, and Kurzawa like you mentioned. Um, also Di Maria like I said occupied that you know number 10 sort of half space so linking the play between those four players outnumbering essentially what was only Bakioko because they played uh, Bakioko and John Moutinho and John Moutinho is more of a creative central midfielder um, they were able to completely exploit uh, the likes of Monaco's system, and, and they weren't near as compact or as defensive as they usually are, and they were also missing some key players. I know Jemerson uh, was a central defender that played uh, for Monaco and th- doesn't usually get a look in. I think they were they were also missing uh, uh, a, 
a player there, but uh, they were completely able to break down their system because they they dominated the central midfield area. And I think if we're going to look at some key players in those positions, I mean, Marco Verratti, people talk about the heir to Andres Iniesta being at Barcelona. He's at PSG right now. The way that he shifts his body, he has no discernible physical traits uh, that, that that elevate him above the competition, but the way that he shifts his body around and, and sort of um, outplays and, and outmuscles players that he definitely shouldn't is uh, is reminiscent of Andres Iniesta as well as his passing ability and his passing decisions and his intelligence on and off the ball it's uh it's incredible to see so um that's sort of a, a few ways as to how PSG got around the the difficult uh the difficult low block that sometimes uh Monaco can employ but also you know the likes of Julian Draxler and Edison Cavani just waiting in those wide areas and looking to pull the uh, central defenders out of their positions was also another key and there's a lot of things that, that Emery sort of got right. You know, firstly, just to address all your points there, first the Verratti point was, was an interesting one. You know, not only has he has he got that ability to shift the play and move the ball, you know, you see the first goal, he's sort of covering Di Maria's position, wins the ball back. PSG transitioned so quick, sort of like how Monaco have been transitioning so fast this season from front to back, and they instantly score a goal. In terms of tackles, Verratti made more than any other player on the pitch, and he won the joint most, winning five out of his nine tackles that he attempted. A fantastic performance, and it shows that how complete he is as a player all already and where he can go it's incredible you know he could go to Barcelona could go to any team could go to Bayern Munich you know he'd fit into any team and he'd get in there but it was very very impressive from uh, Unai Emery in terms of Julian Draxler Di Maria how they came in and combined but also Edison Cavani who's now had his this is his best goal scoring season ever in terms of uh, been playing centrally and that's obviously one fact do you think there's anything else that he's changed this season uh, Nico that, that means that he's, he's really taken his game to the next level or is it just simple that Zlatan's moved on and Cavani has become Come the big cheese. Uh, I think they're they're creating more chances for Cavani. He still missed a number of chances in this game, but you know he is a. It's, it's, people tend to to put him in sort of Gonzalo Guedin because I think they see very limited. Uh, they have a very small sample size of their talents, but I think um, Unai Emery's system is 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 pandering to the likes of Cavani because it allows players like uh, like you talked about Verratti and Di Maria and and more creative players to to give him those chances. You know he's. Um, He's the type of player that if you put him in sort of a one-on-one situation where he's going to strike the ball once, not necessarily dribble uh, a ton, then then I think you're putting him in the best positions. You're putting him in positions that he likes to be. He's a pure sort of striker, and he gets in very good positions. He has excellent off-ball movement combined with his physical traits, you know, pace, physicality, and also, you know, a little bit of speed here and there. You know, those are the type of situations that you want to put someone like Cavani in, and I think that's what they're doing. The, the transition uh, from from the 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 system before where he was even being played out wide and Ibrahimovic although people look at the two players and physically they sort of match up they're they're different players in the the way that they like to receive the ball um, Zlatan likes to be part of the play and be part of the the matchup and sort of link up in different ways I think Cavani you you feed the ball to him in situations as we, you know look at the goal the fantastic goal a variety outside of the boot one time volley into the into the back of the net you know those are the sort of situations that you want to put Cavani into so I think it's transitioning the system to create chances like that as opposed to uh, Ibrahimovic like chances that is the key Mm, it's a different different um, PSG side. One another player that really stood out was um, Aurier, the right back. Got forward so well um, from that spot and really caused Lamar and uh, Mendy a lot of problem down Monaco's left wing, and they just couldn't really deal with it. 
In terms of how badly it's knocked the stuffing out of Monaco, do you think that's gonna this is gonna affect their title hopes, or do you think they'll be able to recover with the likes of someone that you mentioned before, Fabinho coming back in and, and instantly making that midfield a lot more solid? You know, we talk about Moutinho. Whenever I've seen him play this season, he's either played wide or he's played as a number ten. So having to be one of these powerful defensive midfielders, it just didn't quite work for him. So with Fabinho coming back, I think Monaco can go on to win Liga this season. Yeah, I think we can't take this performance from Monaco as uh, as a um, a proper indication of what they'll they'll do going going forward. You know, they were missing some of their best players. They were missing Falcao through a hip injury. They were missing one of their central defenders. They were missing, like you said, Fabinho, which has been excellent for them this season. So we can't necessarily take um, this performance in the cup final as. Um, as sort of a, an adequate performance. It's unfortunate that they, that they miss all these players in the cup final because obviously, like you said, I think uh, you said in the previous podcast that if they win this, then they can go on and, and, and do well in the league and possibly do well in the Champions League. And they're a fantastic team that deserves to win things. You know, they're they're a fantastic system. They're filled with incredibly talented players that are both physical um, and sort of encapsulate a modern system. But um, this could affect their title hopes going forward because it is a massive blow. They were essentially decimated in a cup final what does that mean for them going forward and, and this this team isn't exactly filled with uh, experienced players I mean they have Falcao they have uh, the likes of Moutinho and, and Fabinho and a few other guys but I mean the the large majority of their talent is 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 young so maybe that could affect them mentally so hopefully it doesn't yeah hopefully it doesn't we all want Monaco to win Liga this season all behind Monaco but in terms of you know the likes of if Di Maria does fancy it you know whenever Di Maria fancies it at PSG PSG do win these games you think of the demolition of Barcelona Di Maria massively involved the demolition of Monaco at the weekend say hello to a new era of mental health care Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. 
Di Maria is involved. Di Maria is so crucial to PSG's title hopes. Anyway, moving on, let's go to the Premier League and let's talk Manchester City versus Arsenal. A game which finished uh, a 2-2 draw, arguably a bad result for both sides. Um, Arsenal still sitting in sixth position. Now, they've been there for two weeks now. Uh, as a United fan, I'm very happy that we, we've kept the fifth position uh, for another week. Um, we're destined for six, but if we can just stay on fifth for a few more weeks, it'll make me a little bit happy. In terms of Manchester City, though, uh, Nico, they, they, they started with a, a different system. It looked like De Bruyne was sitting a little bit deeper next to Fernandinho in the first half. Um, I thought he had a fantastic game in that first half. It was absolutely brilliant uh, in terms of his creativity. Hit the post with a fantastic shot and the volley assist for the Sane goal was just unbelievable. It was classic De Bruyne. You know, a very, De Bruyne is one of those players where I think he has to do things naturally. When he, you know, his best moves, you know, his crosses that he hits first time or his first time volleys is like classic De Bruyne. And that shot, you know, the low code shot at the post, a brilliant shot. In terms of his tracking back positioning, I thought he did very, very well. What did you think about Manchester City's system? Is it, is it where you want to see this sort of hybrid between a 4-2-4, a 4-4-2, a 4-3-3? It's a weird system at the moment where Silva kind of presses with Aguero, then he drops back in some phases or City do drop back to a back four. Is this the right thing? Yeah, I'm not 100 percent sure if there was a, if it was the right approach for this game because um, obviously, like you mentioned, there's a four four or four two four and a four four two out of possession, um, and, and that's the thing about this game is that it wasn't classic Pep Guardiola. It wasn't the three two five trying to dominate every aspect of possession. City were completely comfortable sitting back, and I think I don't think that they were trying to hit them on the counter attack, but I think they were trying to be a little bit more conservative because essentially it's only two central midfield players that are battling with the rest of our Arsenal central midfield, right? And so you have to try to get the best um, and, and not drain those players physically so that they have 90 minutes to go on to. And, and sort of the 4-2-4 that we're talking about is um, it, it utilized Kevin De Bruyne as a central midfielder next to Fernandinho. We wanted to get a little bit more out of him offensively as the game went on. So we brought Yaya Turian, who struggled a little bit to, 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 um, to keep up with the 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 pace of the game. Um, but it's, it was an interesting approach. I would rather see Manchester city go for the classic three, two, five and try to dominate possession because I think we would have done a lot better than I think, um, Pep Guardiola was asked earlier this, this week in a press conference, you know, you guys have a, a lot of problems, you know, creating a lot of chances, but not necessarily finishing them and, and not necessarily killing off teams. And and he, he spoke to that. He said, yeah, you're completely right. We create a lot, but we don't necessarily kill off people uh, or kill off games. And I think um, he, he said that was a that was a massive problem this year is that we needed to take, take our chances better. And he he mentioned several games where that was a huge issue. Um, and. It's interesting because as a data analyst and someone that looks at, at stats like expected goals, you know, in a lot of these games, you know, and as a Manchester United fan, you'll, you'll know as well is that sometimes, you know, you do create a lot more than your opponent, but nope, you <laughs> <laughs> you do create a lot more than your opponent, but and your opponent doesn't create nearly as much as you do, but you'll end up with a draw or a nil-nil or something mm. like that. And, and, and as a data analyst and, and people in the data analytics community, sometimes we say, oh, you know, that's unlucky. The, the, what we can take from that and what you take from the, those numbers is that, okay, guys, the system is working. The chances are being created. Just keep faith with it. Sometimes variants can break things. But Pep Guardiola doesn't take that approach. He says, you know, we need to be more elite. We need to finish those low-quality chances. We need to be better and ensure that we kill off teams no matter what. There's no excuses. And that's one thing that I love about Pep Guardiola 
is that he doesn't he does it he says he says it himself he doesn't like to pl- complain about the referees he doesn't complain about you know they're they're creating chances but they're not necessarily killing off teams he doesn't complain he just says okay let's just get better then let's get, let's get so good that we cannot lose and that's that's fantastic so it was quite interesting how Arsenal came back into that game but. I just thought that, that systematically there were so many issues there. Something that I tweeted about about four times was Cochrane picking up a, a yellow card inside 15 minutes. For your defensive midfielder, I think it's absolutely, it's atrocious. It's atrocious play. How are you, can, how are you making a rash challenge on 15 minutes, which pretty much pulls you out of the game? Cochrane's game is based on, on tackles. It's based on aggression and he kind of killed himself. And then what, Granite Xhaka inside, what, for the 32nd minute? picks up a yellow card both of Arsenal's defensive midfielders on bookings how many times in world football have we seen that where two DMs have bookings one of them gets sent off it's one of those things that it's frustrating for Arsene Wenger that his players are making these these terrible decisions Cochrane made a terrible decision for the tackle I can't I think it was on Silva dived in on Silva it was crazy absolutely crazy but in terms of what Arsenal did well um I thought they, you know, the, the likes of Theo Walker had a reasonably good game. Mesut Ozil, another interesting game, not great, but came up with the, the assist for the, the corner. Ozil's been, been terrible without Santi Gazzola. Mesut Ozil looks like a lost figure on the football pitch. But let's, uh, let's finish it off talking on this game. Let's talk about Sanchez playing on the left wing. Nico, is that, is that right for you? Is that the right position for Sanchez to play, left midfield? Not at all. He he was barely influential, and when he was, he he was sort of forced to come inside and and create chances through that. I think when you when you when you put players in those sort of positions, I think as coaches, you sort of realize, okay, this is perfect for me as the opposition coaches because you say this is a this is a position. If you're not putting a player centrally where they have a ton of space and they have a ton of ability to create and sort of influence the game, you can essentially man mark those players out of the game. You can silence those those players because they are in sort of wide positions, and I think. Arsene Wenger's usage of, of Alexis Sanchez in this game was <laughs> was was terrible. I think if you put him at a sort of false nine or, or perhaps in the middle, you know, you would have seen a lot more chance creation out of him. You would have seen a lot more danger from Arsenal, who didn't create that much in the first place in, in this game in, in comparison to Manchester City. Again, it's it's one of those things where Wenger has got it wrong for me. You know, look at the stats with Sanchez playing on the as a striker. He's put 18 appearances in the Premier League this season, scored 14 goals and got six assists. You flip that with him playing left wing. He's had 10 appearances, scored four goals and got three assists. To like compare those, we've got to look at it at a game-by-game basis. In terms of the striker, he scored 0.78 goals per game versus 0.4 on the wing. And then if you look at the assists, it's 0.33 versus 0.3 on the wing. So it's one of those things where it's blatantly obvious. In terms of the win rate as well, um, when he plays in a wide position, Arsenal have gone on to win 50% of the games versus 55% when he's played as a striker. But in terms of the tactical sense, it makes sense playing against this Manchester City team, pulling off their centre-backs giving their centre-backs no, no direct opponent and then allowing Theo Walcott, allowing other wide players to get into that area where Sanchez has moved out the area, the likes of Ozil. We saw Ozil sort of get into those areas um, without Sanchez being in there. Imagine if Sanchez was there, pulling those players out, bang, Mezic could have scored some goals. But it was an interesting game, a game that both teams needed to win. Unfortunately, it ended up as a draw. So, should we move on to a bit of Syria action? Napoli versus Juve. So, the big game in Syria at the weekend. Napoli, who are four points behind Roma in second place. Juve, who are just miles ahead. Obviously going to win the league. It's simple as pie. But this was more of a training match for the Coppa Italia game that's going to take place on, I think it's on Wednesday night, um, Napoli versus Juve in the Coppa Italia. But in terms of this game, uh, Juve, for me, completely controlled the game and I was very impressed by Allegri's use of Lamar as a right midfielder to sort of negate 
Napoli's left-hand side. How how good have La- Napoli's left-hand side been this season, Nico? They've been fantastic. Um, the, the majority of their chance creation has really come through sort of overloading the left and then usually using the positionally disciplined players uh, like Jose Callejon and... Um, and uh, other players on the right-hand side, you know, to, to their best ability, sort of overloading that left and then switching it to the right. Um, what what Mark, Mark, Mark Hamzik, sorry, which, is the, uh, which was the goal scorer for Napoli, did, does so well and, and has consistently done so well for this Napoli team is that he really uh, completes passing triangles in either the left or the right. It's usually the left like we talked about, but um, essentially what he does is he shifts across that number 10 line and, and on the left it's, it's Lorenzo Insigne and Strinich and uh, Mark Hamzik that sort of complete that passing triangle and overload those positions and then seek to, to draw central defense out and then go from there uh, on the right hand side it's it's Jose Callejon and, and whoever the right back is and um and and possibly Dries Mertens as well uh linking up in those areas and then and then switching the ball to the left but they usually they usually do it on the left so yeah Napoli's attack is has been fantastic I think um you were mentioning on a podcast earlier this week that you were impressed by uh, Lorenzo Insigne's past completion numbers that he was completing as many passes as uh, some elite midfielders in world football and I think that's because uh, there's an excellent article by uh, by James Warville I believe who does uh, stuff for Opta that talks about sort of uh, Napoli's possession sequences uh, covering the most amount of distance so they get very vertical their vertical compactness is very good and I think that's something that you consistently see with this Napoli team uh, if you watch them is that they have very quick passing uh, sequences that get them get them very high up the field and that's because they have such uh, such such excellent vertical compactness and like I said you know the overloading and then the switching is a is a key part of their system is a key part, and that's something that Legre did enter, did identify and completely killed it with uh, Lima coming in there at right midfield. Usually a central midfielder was played out there, which is really interesting. Allegra is just, for me, is just such a defensive tactical genius, and he knows how to kick the stuffing out of teams without even kicking a ball, you know, by just positioning a player in a certain position. In terms of the game, Juve did grab that early lead with uh, a great Kadira goal assisted by Pjanic, and they sort of just sat back and waited for the counter-attack. But I do think Napoli deserves some credit getting back into the game. I was very impressed by, obviously, how Zikalan and Jorginho, who we're going to call them H-A-J from now on, Hadj, their midfield trio. But in terms of Hamzik, he scored 111 goals for Napoli in all competitions. Only Diego Maradona has scored more goals for the club, which is incredible for a central midfielder. And his finish for the goal was almost out, out of the book of Gonzalo Higuain. A fantastic finish, opened his body up, curled the ball into the top corner, and it was a brilliant goal. Positionally, in terms of Hamzik, he was very good. And his link-up play with Dries Mertens in terms of Dries dropping to the ball, Hamzik making that dart, it was your classic false nine attacking midfielder move. But a player I want to talk about, let's talk about Alan. I feel he brings some good physicality to this Napoli midfield. Again, Nico, do you feel he pressurised the likes of uh, Marquisio and Sammy Kadira well in this game? Yeah, in, interestingly enough, I don't think it was uh, it was an unclassic uh, or a not usual, I don't know where I'm pulling these words out of my ass, but um, <laughs> not usual Juventus uh, performance because they were they were not the team in possession. You know, Napoli dominated the possession and, and it fell to the likes of Alan as well as Jorginho and later on in the game, uh, Marco Rog to sort of link that possession in central midfield and keep the and, and sort of link the back four to the to the front uh, to the front three. Great podcast podcast um uh alan was uh, was key in that role and i think uh, he's a very talented central midfielder and someone that you and i have both uh, have both highlighted as a as someone that's you know excellent in that central midfield department 
Yeah, I thought Jorginho was his performance. I thought was very mature, and given what you're saying in terms of how Juve have done so well to hold the ball this season and and suffocate teams with possession, it was a different approach here. Jorginho had to step up and make the passes. In terms of in Europe's top five leagues, only a Joshua Kimmich and uh, Michael Carrick completed more passes this weekend. But what was also so impressive was his range of passing. He isn't a player that keeps it simple. He does look for those balls over the top. If you go over to my Twitter account, um, I've got a tweet, a game by numbers, that you should check out the pass map. It's very interesting. So his game by numbers, two key passes, three interceptions, six tackles, which he won 50% of those, and 105 passes completed. But the pass map shows his great variation of his passes, long, short, creating chances and so forth. And I think he's a wonderful player. And for me, he's basically Busquets' air, uh, you know, he's the air to Busquets is thrown as the best defensive midfielder in world football. That is a big regard for a top player that has been performing so well this season in Syria. In terms of predictions for midweek, Nico, are Napoli going to come back? 3-1 down at the moment. Are they going to be able to come back? And is someone like Marco Rog or someone like Zielinski coming in for land, giving Napoli that extra attacking intent from uh, the first minute in the game? Is that going to cause the, the, them to win and, and lift the Coppa Italia? Yeah, I think... Um... You know, Napoli has played some of the most attracting football in all of Europe this season, and you want to see that rewarded. So, you know, hopefully they can grab something because obviously, you know, they were knocked out unceremoniously by uh, by the holders around Madrid mm. in the Champions League. Um, and, and you know, they're probably not going to win the league since Juventus has such a stranglehold on that title, and they're so far ahead in terms of points. So you want to see that beautiful football by Maurizio Sarri rewarded. So hopefully they can come back from a 3-1 aggregate deficit down. I think the ways that they can do that is sort of uh, accentuating the right side of their attack a little bit better. Like I said, you know, Mark, Mark Hamzik drifts across that number 10 line and links up with, with different players on both sides. So if they can make that attack more dual-sided um, and, and also, you know, accentuate the, the qualities of the player on the, the players on the left, then they have a chance to come back and, and win the Coppa Italia. But hopefully they will. I like that thought. It's, it's sort of like a little bit like Manchester United in a way that they're so left-sided. United, uh, you know, they hardly hardly have a, an attacking wide player down there. It's just Antonio. Valencia. Are, you, are you really? Are you really comparing? I am. Jose I am. Right now. I am garbage, now. Garbage, I am comparing the two, the two great managers football. of Dude, world football. Napoli. Napoli's <laughs> a wonderful juego de posición. <laughs> Yeah, in, and, in, and in Jose Mourinho yeah, likes to cross the ball and get it into the box, all right? You know, there's different ways to undress a, a, a pigeon, <laughs> in a way. <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to uh, go with a Juve win. I can't see anything other than Juve uh, just pretty much strangling the game and, and killing Napoli, unfortunately. Although I do want to see Napoli winning the match because it'll be great for football. Like uh, we support... Um, Monaco on this podcast we also support Napoli we support teams that play good football and Napoli are those guys and I'd love to see Rog come in from the start instead of Alain and giving like you mentioned that duality those two sort of number 10s playing see if Juve can deal with that but anyway guys that's been that for the Statman Dave Football Podcast today episode 36 thanks again for Nico for joining me on today's podcast make sure you go and follow him on Twitter Nico underscore O Morales for some great insight and maybe I'll retweet that article uh, that, that Nico mentioned as well because it seems like some very interesting reading but that's been that thanks again Nico over and out bye bye